This is Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done, the podcast for women who want to focus on their personal development and their professional priorities, increase their earnings, expand their influence, and advance up the leadership ladder all the way into the C-suite. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. My podcast, Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done, offers a practical guide for women working in the corporate arena. Weekly episodes feature conversations with recognized experts, authors, and influencers. I'm covering topics from navigating corporate culture and coping with gender bias to prioritizing self-care and managing work-life balance. For more information, or if you'd like to contact me, send an email to lisa at bigsky.coach. Fail fast and fail often. Break a few things. Disruption is desirable. These are all notable phrases from one of the most powerful, most important, and fastest growing industries in the world today, tech. Beyond making people's lives both easier and harder, tech has flipped the masculine ideal on its head. Nerds are the new bros. And yet systemic problems remain. Gender bias, discrimination, and sexism are still problems that every woman in the workspace must navigate. Emily Chang's 2018 book, Brotopia, noted that the man who was one of the main architects of the culture of Silicon Valley over the last 20 years thinks that giving women the right to vote has harmed democracy. And Chang's thesis is so true. Chang says, if robots are going to run the world, or at the very least, play a usually critical role in our future, men should not be programming them alone. The scarcity of women in an industry that is so forcefully reshaping our culture simply cannot be allowed to stand. Today, I'm honored to have my guest, Cindy Gross. She's a leadership coach, and she actually started uh, her own company after a 25-year career in tech, where she focused on data technologies like SQL Server and big data. Today, Cindy's company, Befriending Dragons offers a safe, productive space where women working in tech can learn how to navigate work culture with confidence. Cindy, welcome. I'm so excited you're here. I've got so many, many things to ask you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to get to share my story uh, with more people and to really uh, provide some useful tips to women going through the things that I used to have to go through when I was in the tech industry. Yeah, you were frontline, truly frontline. When you got into this industry, what was your first impression of whether there was gender bias or gender discrimination? I think I was quite naive. Uh, so in the late 80s, uh, I had a couple of computer classes in high school. Um, it was the first time computers had been there. I was in the very first class. And there were actually quite a few girls in, in the class. And uh, when I showed up in computer science classes for the first time at university, um, there were, again, quite a few women there. Uh, and at the time, I didn't have the words or the knowledge to know that what pushed me out of the engineering college and into the business college, a lot of that was sexism. There was harassment going on that I didn't know how to name. So I was listening to um, everybody saying, well, women have been given the chance. It's your fault you're not succeeding. 
And in reality, you know, I, it, it wasn't my fault. It was the harassment. It was going to physics class. I mean, why in the world are physics and calculus required for a computer science degree? I've never used either one in, in my entire 25-year career. Um, but, you know, I get to physics class and they're using uh, billiards or pool to explain some of the concepts. And at the time I had never played pool. So I'm like, I, I don't know. And all the men in the room are going, oh, yeah, you know, this is uh, related to this time I played pool. And I'm like, I don't get it. There's something wrong with me. And so that's the way the whole industry is still built. People coming out of those environments are the ones now running our companies. And just like in Brotopia, uh, it is about who you know more than what you know. Uh, and the higher up in a company you are, the more it is about who you know. Uh, and this is true in all industries, but especially in tech where we feel as though it's a new industry, can't we bring a new world order here? And no, we cannot. So as you went through school and graduated and you got that first job in tech, how was how was that for you? What were some of the challenges that you faced going into that first position in tech? Well, what was really interesting was that it, it actually took me quite a while to find a job. I, I couldn't figure out what was wrong. Now I can look back and go, I had no idea how to write a resume. Um, my dad was in prison. So like I, I didn't have the one person I knew in my immediate family who'd been to college wasn't available to help me. Um, you know, there are all these other things going on. But once I got the job, um, I was actually for the only time in my entire career, and I had no idea how rare it was, everyone on my team was a woman. Uh, and so I was surrounded by women. Um, my manager was a man, but then he promoted one of the women on the team to be the manager, and he, he had moved up a level. And I thought that's what work life was. And we we interacted, we, we collaborated, we asked each other. There was no bragging. There was no, I know how to do this and you don't. And so it was when I left that team, when I outgrew the company, not the team. I did not grow my team members, but I outgrew the company. They didn't have anywhere for me to go. Uh -huh. uh, and I came to Microsoft. That's where the problem started because in that world, like literally on the first day, and as far as I know, they still do this. They sit you down, they hand you a piece of hardware, usually a used computer, and they say, um, come back and talk to us next week. And so you're like, oh, I have to install the OS. I've never installed an OS before in my life. Okay, where do I, what do I, how, how does this work? I have to boot from the network. What does it mean to boot from the network? What, you don't know how to do that? And, and then they expect you, they tell you, explicitly tell you, if you can't figure it out yourself, you don't need to be here. And I came from this environment of all women where it would have been, hey, help me. And women would have been, yes, let's help. And in that environment, it was, it was very clear if I'd asked for too much help that I was admitting I was a failure. Right. It's that dog ate dog mentality or that king of the hill mentality where one boy is on top of the hill for five minutes and then he's shoved off. It, right. it's, it's a really aggressive mindset. And that really seems to have taken root in tech. Mm -hmm. So, so you get in, you get to Microsoft and you're given like some big, heavy piece of equipment and you figure it out, which I, I love. Um, and then you come up to that first promotion and what was that like? Yeah. Um, so going into the position, um, I was told nobody gets promoted in the first year in this role. Nobody, you know, all this stuff. And actually I got a higher review than they said anybody in the first uh, year would get. I got my first promotion pretty quickly. 
Um, and then it just slowed down. And so I started seeing that there were other people that were getting lead positions and manager positions. And, and at one point I was asked if I wanted to be a manager, uh, and, and I probably could have gone down that route, but I very firmly believed that if I had gone down the manager route, I would have been slotted into the, you're not technical enough. And, and it would have, it wasn't going to be what I wanted it to be. And on other teams at Microsoft, teams I moved to later, I had already firmly established myself as I'm not on the management track in my own mind and other people's minds. But on other teams, it actually was possible to be both technical and a manager. But I didn't, I didn't know how to navigate that. I didn't know how to ask for what I wanted. And when I did start asking to be a manager, um, I had one manager tell me, if I put you forward as a potential manager, everybody on the leadership team is going to laugh at you and laugh at me. And I was like, well, why? Well, because you're abrasive, because you're bossy. I was a leader, but because I was a woman, the only woman on the team, right. he wasn't going to present me as a potential manager because people would laugh. Because you're considered other. And even if you might be assertive, as a woman, you're called aggressive. If you might be passionate, as a woman, you're called uh, hysterical or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, overly emotional. Um, so what I'm hearing is, is as you advanced in your career at the second company, the systemic gender bias became more and more obvious. Well, it became more pronounced. I still refused to see it. I still believed for a large portion of my career that if I just tried harder, that if I just found the right line to walk, and then if I walked it successfully, that I would be successful. And people will go, well, look at this woman over here. She became successful. And of course, the whole women in tech um, industry, I guess, was built around the idea that the successful woman VP would come in and she'd talk to a room full of women at the company and she'd go, here's what I did. And I'd be looking at it going, you had a sponsor and at the next level you had a sponsor and at the next level you had a sponsor. And also, in many cases, they either had to compromise their authenticity or they happened to be one of that percentage of women who already aligned with enough of typically stereotypically male traits that they were able to navigate that culture already. So it took me a while to see it. So yeah, it was obvious in retrospect. It was not obvious to me at the time. And I still encounter women who say, well, I've never experienced that. Uh, I remember a, um, a Chinese woman that I worked with who was telling me, I see, I see what black women are going through. I see what Indian women are going through. I can even see what white women are going through, but it's not happening to Asian women. And then I started talking to her a lot and telling stories. And after a few months, she's like, oh my God, I've been discriminated against so much and I didn't see it. Exactly, exactly. And this is this is one of the issues has to, I, I, this is what I love about what you're doing. One, the need is so great, but two, it's that educational component, because I think as women, we don't want to look at ourselves as less than even when we're told that. And we certainly don't want to see ourselves as victims, even when we are harassed or slighted or discriminated against. Um, and so it can be really hard to you know, when we finally go, oh, yeah, I got played with there. That's a very hard thing. So talk to me a little bit more when you had um, that epiphany of 
this has got to change and I am going to change it or at least attempt to for myself. What opened that up? Was it the manager who said, well, I can't promote you because I'll be laughed at and you'll be laughed at? I mean, that sounds like a pretty important step, but was there something else? I think I I got into it like a lot of people did, where I thought there were simple solutions and that I could join the women in tech groups. I could join the um, the different uh, training programs, the leadership programs. You know, there were a whole lot of uh, women's leadership programs, and I was put in several of them because that's what they do with people that they're thinking, oh, well, maybe you can be on the promotion track. You know, I'd be like, oh, I'm in this program. Great. Um, I still wouldn't get promoted. So I started doing women in tech talks. I started getting really involved in those sorts of things. And I started speaking out a lot. And that didn't help. You know, it didn't help my, it didn't help me. It didn't help other people. It made me in some ways feel good. But you know who it made feel good? The VPs who didn't have to do anything else, right? Because they said, we gave you a bunch of your lunch hours that you now get to spend doing women in tech talks and women in tech panels and and working with teenagers to convince them to go get computer science degrees so we can hire them and harass them too. We gave you your lunch hours to do that, or we gave you after hours hours to do that. They gave me extra work. <laughs> exactly. Um, or they put me on interview loops and every woman who would come through the interview loop would have me as one of the interviewers. And at one point, uh, when I went to the rest of the interview team and I said, what do you say? And I did not expect them to actually have an answer for this. I, uh, but I went to them and said, what do you say when a woman comes in and asks if it's possible for a woman to be successful at this company? And they looked at me with blank stares, as I knew they would. But, um, and they said, what do you mean? And I said, every woman who comes through the interview, everyone asks me, is it possible, not how, is it possible to succeed at this company? And the reason they ask me and they don't ask you is because they don't trust your answer. Correct. And it wasn't too long after that, I said, I'm off the interview loops. I cannot because I'm answering too honestly and I cannot ethically stay in the interview loop. I cannot keep telling these women that it is possible to succeed because I no longer believed it. Right. So there was a, uh, what's the word I want to use? There was that, I'll just use a simple word here. There was that big aha of, I can't perpetuate the lie. Right. I won't perpetuate the lie. So that does explain a lot as to what you're doing right now, which with your company, Befriending Dragons, helping other women who are still in the tech world navigate it. So what are some, talk to me a little bit about the process you use, because as I'm sharing, as I, we're talking, I'm feeling the rage myself and rage can be great to like, you know, get you going, but you can't sustain it because it's really, it can be very draining. So talk about the process of one, acknowledging the rage and then giving really substantial support direction a process so women can navigate through this particular culture that just really doesn't serve us at all. So I, I think there's, there's multiple answers to this. So um, first of all, I think it is possible to be successful to a certain degree as a woman in tech, uh, as a woman of color in tech, as a disabled woman in tech. I think that all of these things are possible. 
the skill sets and the expectations I had at the time I was still in the tech industry were not going to get me there. Mm -hmm. So part of it is that these systems have to change. Yeah. And part of it is we need to learn how to navigate the existing culture in ways that are more useful to us. So part of what we can do to navigate the culture is to pay attention to who's in charge, yeah. what they're saying, yeah. and what they're doing. So yes, the companies have to change, and we can be as successful as we can be when we approach with different expectations and different boundaries, things like that. So I work with women and non-binary people to figure out where we put roadblocks in front of ourselves, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe with boundaries that are too rigid or too porous. Like for me, what I would do is I'd have a, you can't treat me that way. And then as soon as people pushed on it too hard, I go, okay, I was being, you know, whatever bad word they were calling me, bossy or other B words. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to let that boundary down. I didn't have a flexible boundary that I can move it back a little bit or that I could really truly hold it. They would break the boundary. Uh, or I would have boundaries that trying to accommodate that were just so full of holes, it didn't really keep out bad behaviors or bad actors. Uh, so I help women find those places in their own lives and also find out, like, does it make sense to stay where you're at? Because while all tech cultures have some things in common, they're not all the same. Correct. Yeah. And so can you pivot? Can you show up in some way in your current role that's more comfortable for you? And some women can. Some women will start pushing back against one bad actor on the team uh, and they'll find new strategies. I can help them find that. Uh, and some women decide that um, they just want to pivot to a slightly different role, uh, same team, different team, but they want to stay in the org. And some, some women decide they're just, they're going to leave and go to another company. And all of those are valid paths forward. The thing is that when we have been bullied, harassed, um, any sort of like really negative behavior that's led to burnout or overwhelm, we start only seeing one path forward. And that one path forward is to give in to the bad behavior, to give in to the toxic environment, because that's human nature. It's, right. it's literally a physical phenomenon in our brain. Yeah. And so I help them back up from that and say, okay, there are more options. There are different ways that we can do this. So instead of looking for somebody else signpost along the way that says, you know, here's success this way, or here's success that way, step back and say, how can I figure out what I really want, create my own signpost, put it in the ground and say, okay, here are my three choices I now see, which one feels best to me, now let's plan to get there. So that really speaks to your whole coaching process of having that mindset shift of why am I not getting promoted? Why can't I excel in my career? Yes, there's gender bias, but why should that stop us? So my process is what's your next thing that's blocking your next step? Yeah. Yeah. Let's work on that. And a lot of times we'll, we'll work on something that is apparently unrelated or appears at first to be unrelated. Oh, we're working on a career, but you've got a family issue this week. Let's work on the family issue. And the next week you've resolved that, come back. All right. What'd you learn from that? How do you apply it going forward? So the path is unexpected. It's about being open to the fact that you can choose from all those paths in front of you. And I can help you see that the paths exist 
and that some of those barriers aren't really barriers. Some of those barriers are something you can walk around, you can jump over, you can push to the side, or maybe it's just an illusion. When you decided to start your company, Befriending Dragons, what was the origin of the name? Mm -hmm. So I've always been a fan of fantasy. I read a whole bunch of uh, novels when I was a kid about dragons. And um, when I was diagnosed with cancer in 2013, it just brought back a lot of those memories. Mm -hmm. And my mom died from breast cancer when I was 28. She was 48. And so I had dealt with that not very well. <laughs> I didn't really completed the grieving process. I didn't let myself feel it. Um, and so, you know, 20 years later, when I was diagnosed, you know, I got the call from the doctor. Uh, the test came back positive. You have breast cancer. Don't worry. You're going to be cured in six weeks. And I just felt this immediate sense of relief. And I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to be terrified. I'm supposed to be, you know, horrified that this is happening. I'm, and, and all I felt was relief. And it wasn't the relief of it's going to be cured in six weeks, although that was good to hear. It was the relief of I finally got the thing I always knew was going to kill me. Uh -huh. And so that was the dragon. The dragon was that unconscious, well-hidden fear. Mm -hmm. What happened to my mom would happen to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so by befriending that and really exploring it and digging deep while I was sitting there, you know, I had some time off from work and I was thinking about things. I was befriending that feeling. Mm -hmm. And I also started relating it to things I was doing at work. So I was working with customers that were moving from the old style, um, what's called on-premises solution. So all of their hardware was in a building somewhere that they had full control of, and now they were moving things into the cloud. So Microsoft or Google or Amazon or some third party um, would control a bunch of things that used to be in control of the company. And so they would come in and they'd ask all these technical questions and I'd get invited into the room by the salespeople or the pre-sales people. And I go, well, here's your technical answers, because that was my job to answer the very deep technical questions. But I'd also go, are you worried about all the, you've got a whole team of people who do installations. Are you worried about them? Like I would pick up on some of these other fears and address them and say, well, here are all the things that that team will still need to do. Here are all the things your security team's still gonna need to do. Like there's a place for them. Don't worry that your best friend is in that org and you know they're not gonna lose their job if you decide to go ahead and move things to the cloud. And the same thing moving from uh, a traditional database system like SQL Server into the world of big data. Um, you're not giving up what was there. You're not going to lose all your employees. They're still going to have so much work to do for the next 50 years. Don't worry about it. And I realized that was befriending dragons. Uh -huh. And then I started thinking about all the other things I did um, in political work. Um, you know, I was advocating for gay and transgender uh, rights in the state of Idaho. And a lot of that was working to the persuadable middle, like talking to them and saying, you're not going to lose whatever it was they were afraid of losing. This is about somebody else no longer being denied their rights. This isn't taking anything from you. That's befriending dragons. So that's why I carry that forward into this current incarnation of what I'm doing, because it really is about befriending those things that you don't even know are scaring you 
-hmm. and listening to them differently and doing something differently because of that. What's the one thing you wish you'd known at the beginning of your career that is just so clear to you now? You know, it's so hard to, to narrow it down to just one, but I, I really do think, I wish I had realized that no choice is forever. Oh and my God, that's brilliant. It's just so like, I thought once I had given into a bad culture, I had to stay in a bad culture. I thought that once I had decided on computers, I had to stay in computers. I thought that um, once I'd given up on psychology, which was once, you know, in, in high school, I was either going to be a marine biologist or a psychologist. Um, and once I gave up on that, I couldn't do that. Well, now I'm taking psychology classes for fun. You know, I don't have to give up on that. That choice was not forever. Yeah. Oh, I think that's brilliant. Um, so just share with our listeners how they can reach you again, please. So you can reach out from befriendingdragons.com. It's got all my social media on there. Um, and then there's the link right in the middle of the page on how to set up your free consult with me. And we can discuss, you know, what's going on for you, how we might be able to partner together on your journey and help you get where you want to be. So Cindy, tell me, what are you reading now? What's top of mind? So there's this really wonderful book called My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Menachem. And he talks about bodies of culture and white-bodied people and how trauma is different because of the way our society is structured, depending on what we have labeled as race, ethnicity, many other things. And now I'm a white woman, but I am also an indigenous woman. I am a citizen of Cherokee Nation and Delaware Tribe of Indians. Uh, I operate in the spirit of Gadugi, which is about coming together collectively or in a community for a shared purpose. Uh, and one of the things that Resma says that uh, really sticks with me is about how we come to accept things as normal. So trauma in a person decontextualized over time can look like personality. Trauma in a family decontextualized over time can look like family traits. And trauma in a people decontextualized over time can look like culture. So when we think about work cultures and how we navigate the work culture as it is, how we change these work cultures, it's really important to think about things like this. And a lot of what is in Resma's book is really about approaching things in a new way and bringing in these perspectives that aren't necessarily mainstream in current American culture, but that can really help improve our culture, not to make us feel bad about our current culture, not to make anybody feel shamed, but really just to offer, offer new opportunities and new ways that we can choose to be if we really want to. A lot of coaching work is really about looking at yourself as an internal system. We've got different competing voices in our heads, conflict right. going on. I don't know how to make this decision or I don't like this decision I did make or I'm, I'm shaming myself for having made that decision. Um, so leadership of self is something that you learn through coaching. It's something you learn through these one-on-one -on -one interactions with people who've been what you've been through and can then help you find your way out in a way that's more useful to you. If there was one thing you could change tomorrow, regarding the work you do so that it would just make things more equitable, more, more fair. If there is such a thing as fair, I just, let's just say where opportunities were available to everyone, not to a chosen few. What is that one step you would take? So again, so many potential answers. I, I think that, um, 
now that I have had several years of having coaches available to me, I've seen the difference that that makes. I, I also know that coaching is, it's not covered by insurance. It's, and it can be hard. It is possible, but it can be hard to get your company to pay for coaching. I think that someone who's on your side, whether they call themselves a coach or not, and has the ability to ask you the insightful questions that open up possibilities, that is something that should be available to everyone. And in the tech industry in particular, I think it's so essential to get everyone of every gender out of their heads mm -hmm. and coaching can help do that. So I really wish everybody had something in the realm of coaching available to them to help make their lives more well-rounded, um, happier, healthier, and so that more people could thrive uh, in life, at work, and everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be super helpful. I know that many people though, and some leaders think that they already have all the answers <laughs> and believe that they know the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, I, I've said this a lot in a lot of different ways, but if you've never experienced bias, it is almost impossible to recognize it. And if you, and you spoke to this earlier, if you never really can imagine you might be the um, object of somebody's bias, it's, it's, and you would never be biased against someone else, it's really hard to acknowledge that maybe you were discriminated against, maybe you were devalued or diminished. Um, what, any closing thoughts or things you'd like to share with listeners, with our listeners? I, I would like for everyone to really think about how they can bring in more practices to everything they do that are anti-racist, that are informed by anti-bullying and anti-harassment practices. I encourage uh, everyone to actually read your harassment policy. Um, I did not understand when I was harassed that what had happened to me was harassment. I've talked to many women who experienced much, much worse things than I did, um, who didn't understand that it was against their company policy. Um, read those things. You know, Don't treat the anti-harassment training as a joke like so many people do. Um, and really think about how that applies on the basis of race, of gender, of ability. Uh, we focus a lot on sexual harassment. That's not the only type of harassment. And most anti-harassment policies and anti-harassment laws are really based around discrimination on the basis of something you can't control, on the basis of your identity, on the basis of an ability. Uh, so really pay attention to that and also really think about systemic issues. And there's so many anti-racism resources out there. Find some and make it a part of your everyday experience. No matter what race you are, there are people of some race other than your own who are experiencing oppression in a way you probably don't yet understand. Right. And can't even conceive of. Right. Exactly. Well, it has been my absolute pleasure. And again, for all our listeners, you can find Cindy at befriendingdragons.com. Um, she's got complimentary things to download on her website, but I highly recommend book a session with her, up-level your career, so you can learn how to navigate work culture with confidence. If you're a woman who wants to advance in your career so you can create the change that makes the difference, remember to be a mentor, mentor others, to sponsor others, and to also remember to support yourself. So Cindy, again, thank you so much. So appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me on.
please share one more time how listeners can find you? Please go to befriendingdragons.com and there's a big old button on there that you can click on to get a free consult with me. And you can also uh, download some things to help you uplevel your career. Fantastic. Thank you again, Cindy. Really my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done. I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. If you'd like more information or to contact me directly, send me an email, lisa at bigsky, B-I-G-S-K-Y dot coach. Lisa at bigsky dot coach. Thanks for listening.